Well, it is, thank you, Tracy. It is uh, good to be here as always, and uh, I'm always delighted to be able to gather with the body of Christ, wherever that might be, and to listen together uh, what the, the Spirit is speaking. I was uh, encouraged, Katrina, this morning as we spent time in worship and song with the sense of preparing our hearts both to respond to God but also to receive a message. And uh, so uh, as uh, Tracy already shared, uh, Jeff asked me to kick off uh, this, this uh, uh, sermon series, uh, a five-part series here in the five Sundays in October um, on the five investments. And uh, so I, just, I would like us just to pause and invite the Spirit of God to be stirring in us and to be preparing us, opening our ears and our hearts to receive what God has for us. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, this morning we acknowledge that without you we are nothing. And so we come to you this morning and we say, God, would you take our five loaves and two fish and would you multiply them for kingdom purposes? Would you take that which you have deposited in us already that we may not even be aware of, and would you multiply it as a part of a kingdom investment for the purpose of kingdom building? Lord, I ask for each brother and sister in this circle, in this gathering, in this place of worship, I ask for you to stir in each one of us a deeper hunger for you, and also we ask for revelation to understand even this morning in greater ways how to respond to that hunger. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Is this uh, on here? Yeah, it says on. Oh, now we're going. Okay, good. So, as, as uh, Jeff and I spent time uh, together uh, preparing kind of the overarching piece, uh, this was uh, kind of the core of this, uh, of this message. Looking at the five ways in which Jesus invested everything he was for the glory of the kingdom of God. And so really looking through the lens of Jesus, what did he say, what did he do, how did he live? that invites us into that space to respond to God. As, uh, as Tracy already shared, we're looking at those five investments, a spiritual investment, a relational investment, the physical time investment, what can we physically are able to do, the intellectual investment, and the financial investment. And it's interesting because we, we often hear this call to discipleship, the call to come and follow, and uh, we hear it only or primarily through the lens of sacrifice, surrender. You know, to follow Jesus, what do I have to give up? What do I lose to follow this man called Jesus? But I want us today to particularly be looking through the lens of investment, which means that as we're responding, is there something bigger that God is doing than just what I'm not allowed to do or what I can't do or what I have to give up. 
Now, all of us know at some level we know that's true. The fact is that the same way the, the gospel gets packaged in that way at times, and it's a truncated gospel. It's limited in what it can do and also what it can stir in us because we're looking at things through these lenses of sacrifice. Oh, man, I can't do this. I can't do that. I have to go to church on Sunday. What a boring life. Well, this isn't the life that the Scriptures talk about in terms of of what Jesus offered. In fact, He offered something where He said, I've come to give you life, John 10.10, and what? To give you life, what? More abundant. So somehow in this thing of investment, when we're laying down our lives, something else is stirring and bubbling up. And if that something else stirring and bubbling up isn't being felt or present or, or stirred in us, I think we ask the question, so what part of this maybe are we missing? I want to circle back to that lens of investment later on, but I wanted for now, for the sake of, of, of this context, simply to, to respond around the heart of God as reflected in Matthew 6, 19 and 24. Now, I invite you to turn with me. Uh, someone told me recently, they said, uh, increasingly this is not read by followers of Jesus. I find that both interesting to hear and a bit troubling. But I also recognize a world that we live in where there is so much to read, an inundation of information, that it's much easier to click on Facebook or something else and spend a lot of time reading and very little time reading this. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Again, the context here is Jesus um, is teaching and preaching to a crowd on the mountains. Some of you have had the opportunity, like I have, to, to, to have been along the Sea of Galilee in places where they say this could have been the place where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Most of the things there are, this could have been the place, because we're not really sure. But it was, it was a place where people gathered and he was teaching and instructing. And in fact, as followers of Jesus, and particularly as those who, who, who name ourselves as Anabaptists, this sense of the value of the gospel being translated and brought to fullness is in the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And this is his biggest sermon, right? Uh, it's a long sermon. And in it are all these nuggets. And so here in chapter 6, starting in verse 19 is one that is very familiar to most of us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some of you may have heard me uh, relate and share this particular perspective before. I once heard it said that we, we hear scriptures and, and it's helpful to read them twice. Once for the head and once for the heart. 
And part of that is our tendency, especially as intellectual Westerners, is that everything's translated through the head. This drives how we determine things. Does it make sense to me? And if it makes sense, then I can believe it. If it doesn't make sense, then I'm not sure what to do with it. And so being able to open our spiritual hearts and listen from a different perspective. Now, I'm reading this second time through from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message. This is not a translation of the scripture. It is a paraphrase which takes the best current concepts in our culture and helps us to see it with different lenses. Albeit, this one sounds pretty similar because of the, of the, of the straightforwardness of the message. So from the message, same passage, don't hoard treasures down here where it, get, where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust. Or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile, stockpile treasures in heaven where it's safe from moss and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will want to be and you'll end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't, you can't worship God and money both. This particular passage always catches my attention has always caught my attention, and one I've preached on before, but as I thought about this through this lens of of kingdom investment, there was some really profound things that I saw in this passage. Verse 19 again, simply about not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth where the moss and the rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, and simply said, Jesus is saying earthly treasures are of little value, or maybe better stated, of no value, according to kingdom standards. Now, that's pretty, in pretty stark contrast to what we know and we understand in the context of the world we live in. You know, I said it's, it's a, of little value or maybe, or, or, or maybe better stated, of no value. And the truth is that the last sermon, the last message on this series is on, is on financial investment. So there's something about money and how we invest it, this is pretty important. So that's there. And, and thanks to Katrina and Carol, you guys kind of, or Carol decorated, you, the two of you are working on this, but up front here, which I'm, I'm standing in the way, but already a starting of a depiction of these different investment pe- principles. And of course, you'll see the, the little glass jar with some pennies in it. Um, I'll leave it at that. It's there. It's a part of what we're going to be looking at. Verse 20 he simply notes that we're called to store for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Heavenly treasures are of great value by kingdom standards. A, simply a declaration of that truth. Heavenly treasures 
are of great value by kingdom standards. There are kingdom investments that we as followers of Jesus must become more aware of. And we're still back on the, the, the last one yet, on, on the Matthew one yet, thanks. Um, a recognition that these kingdom investments that, are, that we as followers of Jesus must become more aware of as we surrender, we need to understand what kingdom investments look like. And we're talking about this on all five of these. So this isn't just for spiritual kingdom investments. This is all five of these that we're talking about. These, what do those kingdom investments look like? They last into eternity. So we can ask ourselves a question. Does this investment have the capacity to roll over into eternity? And the truth is that if you look at that, at almost all levels, it has to have some significant impact on other people. That's the only rollover principle that I understand from this world to the next, is that it has a positive impact on another person. It changes or influences another person. Even when we think about it in the context of taking care of our planet, creation care, this is about caring for something God has given us that has the capacity to impact individuals for the purpose of kingdom understanding. Verse 21 uh, and actually just this impact for eternity, it's, it's relational, and then lastly just that it's rooted in the principles of the kingdom. Rooted in love, grace, shalom, peace, and God's truth. Verse 21 speaks about this, whatever you treasure will be what you worship. Verse 21 simply says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So whatever you treasure, it's really important to you, you will worship. Your bishop makes a confession. He's a huge sports fan. It's really easy for me to worship the team I like. You understand that. This is all within our nice little language. But uh, I'll tell you a little secret, a little story. So I don't fit very well in this culture here because when I was a naive little missionary kid, I was uh, 10 years old, I came back, and I went to Locust Grove Mennonite School, first school I'd been in because I was homeschooled up to that point. I was born in Mexico. Ten years there, came back when I was, was ten. Fifth grade, uh, Miss Grace Weaver was my teacher, and my be- best, best friend was Phil. And Phil was a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. It was the Rement- Rober- Roberto Clemente days. It was the Pirates' heyday. It hasn't been so much lately. Um, but he told me this little secret. He said, all the Pirates are Christians. Do you think Phil told me a lie? Yeah. Do you think the naive little Mennonite believed him? Yeah. And once you start rooting for a team, it's kind of hard to switch, right? So kind of when it comes to root, sports fan, anything Pittsburgh, I like. It was planted way back there by Phil, who lied to me. But I use that as an example because how I'm wired, I'm incredibly competitive. I'm passionate about what I do. And when it comes to sports, it's the same way. And I have to guard myself that my worship isn't around sports. But my worship is around the one who created me. But I recognize that tendency. In many ways, I'm grateful that, that God brought things in my path that kind of blocked that. Because that could so have easily have been my idol. Just by how I'm wired. So a recognition, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You... Whatever you treasure, you will worship. If you treasure earthly things, you'll worship earthly things. 
And as Peterson wrote it in the paraphrase that we read, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be, and you will end up being there. You see, whatever you treasure, you, it's like a magnet. It pulls you, and you're like, I'm going to worship Jesus, but I'd really like to follow that thing over there. Verses 22 and 23 speak about the need for spiritual eyes to see beyond what this world has to offer. Spiritual eyes because too often what we see in the natural we perceive as that's what's important because that's what the world says is important. This is what you should aspire for. This is what's great. And God's response is, in that context is simply the things that are great in the kingdom are not the things necessarily that are great in this world. That's part of God transforming and changing. This is when we, when we hear these things and we apply them, they begin to be spiritual investments into our lives out of which we're transformed from the inside out. Because we respond to the things that Jesus taught, that he lived, that he modeled. And as we not just say, I think that's true, but as we take it into our being and saying, I'm going to walk that way, the spiritual investment begins to transform us from the inside out. Peterson, again, I, I, I like his spiritual eyes analogy. He said, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. And if you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. That's a pretty good description of this place, especially spiritually, of receiving from the Lord, that it's wide open with a desire and with faith to follow what God is prompting in our spirits. And then lastly, verse 24 this concept of you can't serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to, the one, to one and serve the other. You can't worship two gods. True worship is singly, singly focused. Divided worship is no worship at all. It cannot exist. You can't have divided worship. It's going to be one or the other. There's a, there's a concept in the, in the context of the computer world or com- computing and those kind of things called a deadly embrace. And a deadly embrace is basically a stalemate that occurs when two elements in a process, each are waiting for the other to respond. For example, in a network, if one user is working with file A and needs file B to continue, but another is working on file B and needs file A to continue, each one waits for the other but are temporarily locked down and cannot function. Our challenge, I believe, in much of the church is that we are in a deadly embrace. We're in a place where we say with one part of our being, I want to follow Jesus with everything I have. And the other one is grabbing onto file B, which says, but I want all the things the world has to offer. We're stuck. We're kind of in between because that deadly embrace has left us at a place where we're not really truly worshiping either and doesn't free us to give ourselves fully to God. 
So in this context, and you're back there with your clicker and you're doing it just as good as I am, so I'll let you do it. But in this context, looking at these five investments, the title I used was Spiritual Investments, Treasuring Jesus and His Kingdom. And I use those words intentionally, treasuring Jesus and His kingdom. We could call it the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But it's this kingdom that Jesus came and proclaimed. It was a different way of living. It was a different, it was just, it was, it was different. It was said unto you the same sermon, you should do this. But I say unto you, here, this is the way to live. You're supposed to, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But what did Jesus say? An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But what did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. This teacher is crazy. Nobody loves their enemies. But this is a different kingdom. Jesus modeled what it means to walk with God and to walk in obedience to Him. So we ask this question, and we're beginning to, we've begun to already dig into it, but this question, what really are spiritual investments? How do we make them, and how do we learn to invest in this way? You see, we all desire to treasure Jesus in God's kingdom, but we are so often stuck in seeing things from the perspectives and the way that this world defines them. Jesus' message wasn't complex. It was a simple invitation. I invite you to turn with me to the, to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, uh, it's kind of this place in, in, in context of a shift from John the Baptist to Jesus. John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one coming and declaring the message, and then this message of Jesus the Messiah coming, which people did not know. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 and following, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up from the water, he saw, he saw, heaven, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I loved, whom I love, with, who, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And then we're shifting context. That's just, the, that's just the, the setting here, but we're shifting into the next setting. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That was really the message that John was preaching, right? A message of repentance. And a message of preparation for the kingdom. This message of the kingdom and responding is really captured in two of those words there. Repent and believe. Now we've often gotten this repent word a little bit mixed up. Uh, repent at its core, metanoia in the Greek, at its core really means a changing of the way we think. It's a shift in the way we think. Now, we always think of repentance as, oh, no, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't see it that way. Well, really what you're doing in confession is saying, I didn't realize, God, how much that breaks your heart. And I'm so sorry that happened. But as I spend time in your presence, as there's spiritual investment, I see things with new eyes. I see things from a different perspective. And so repent really means this 
changing our mind, or maybe a way of saying as our mind is renewed to see things with new eyes. So as followers of Jesus, we listen to what Jesus says, what he taught, what he modeled. And we choose to believe that what he is telling us was the truth. That it wasn't just, oh, it works there, or it, works for, it works for the bishop. He can apply anything and it just touches it and it turns to gold. It's easy. It's, it's difficult following Jesus no matter who you are. But it's a simple decision. And that is, I'm going to follow Jesus and allow him to transform and change me. A mind renewed by Jesus and we believe what he's telling us truth that we say yes to him and to whatever we were thinking before we say no we agree with him about reality not trying to discern it interpret it and figure out our reality it's what repentance is about listening to what jesus says and surrendering to it and the second one is believe comes from the word that is both used as faith at times or believe it's a greek word pistis and in that context simply means to trust jesus to put and to put what we've trusted Jesus into, into, into display by taking action. We actually do it. We don't just say, I believe this. In fact, this is one of the greatest critiques of the church. They talk a lot, but they don't do what they say. They don't actually put it into action. They say all these wonderful things, love your enemies, and they gossip and talk all these mean things about even their friends. Why would I go to a church where people act that way? The core is not just saying this is what we believe, but saying, God, would you come and transform me so that what I actually do represents your kingdom? And you know what? There are times that in that place of temptation and struggle, we're tempted to do things that we know aren't right because it somehow makes us feel better. Like saying something really negative about somebody else, it makes me feel better because I'm not as bad as they are. It's a pretty base form of of, of feeling good about yourself. But the reality is that's really rooted in that. If I can somehow see somebody else's problem and tell somebody else about it, now I kind of feel better about myself. But that's not the abundant life Jesus was talking about, okay? Let's not get confused. The abundant life was that which is his, his very presence flowing in us, changing us so that the way we respond is really with the heart of Jesus. That's where spiritual investment begins to transform us and the community that we live in. Our families, our neighbors, our church as well for the purpose of kingdom building. Believing is putting active trust in that person, Jesus, that is displayed by my actions, by my behaviors and my responses. Kind of in in practical terms, when we enter this market of spiritual investing, which seems weird to say that because we're like, well, the kingdom is different than the world, so it's not a business proposition. But when we enter the market of spiritual investing, we listen to Jesus' words and we put them into practice. As we walk through life, as we read scripture, and as we work and rest and play, we ask these questions. And this is really the repent and believe. What is God saying to me? That's the first part of what some people call the learning circle. And then, what am I going to do about it? 
What action am I going to take? See, pistis, to believe and to have faith is actually to do something with what I've heard. These actions, these patterns done over and over again. Listening, responding over and over again results in the most valuable of all these investments, spiritual investments that treasure Jesus and treasure his kingdom. In closing, I'd like to circle back to the investment lens that we talked about earlier. So we're looking now through this investment lens and looking at this from the context, and I'm going to read a quote that I, had, I, I, I shared earlier. We often hear the call to discipleship only through the lens of sacrifice or surrender. Oh, look at what we're losing. But Je- Jesus rarely spoke this way. When, we, when he talked about discipleship, he always spoke about the lens of investment. Looking at what we were gaining. He promised people that what initially looks and feels like a sacrifice will pay off in the end, which is essentially the same thing as making a good investment. If it pays off in the end, it's a good investment, right? The problem is that we often say, oh, that's great. I'm going to apply this spiritual principle and I'm going to invest a hundred kingdom bucks in this particular thing. Now, if you invested a hundred dollars in your bank... Would you go back the next day to find out if you had much interest? Uh, You could. It wouldn't be very smart because you wouldn't have much. And so investing in the kingdom means there's also this time process of the investment bearing fruit over a period of time. So now we're living by faith because God says do this and this will happen. And we're saying I'm going to do it. I'm going to invest 100 kingdom bucks, and tomorrow I expect it to be exactly the way I want it. You and I know that investment doesn't work that way. Investment doesn't work that way in terms of the, of the piece. It is, yes, investment on what are sound principles, sound business investment, if we're looking at that side, and we know that 20 years down the road, it's going to pay off, right? 50 years down the road, it's going to pay off. Kingdom investment has a similar payoff principle. We just don't always know what that payoff will look like and when it's coming. Let's just look together at these passages from Matthew. And I'm not going to make a lot of comments about these other than to say, I'm asking Holy Spirit to inspire us to see these with the lens of investment. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Anyone... Who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see sacrifice. You see investment. And you see return on the investment in that. Now, that's a sermon all in itself, but I'm simply reading it for us to look at with the lens of investment. Matthew 13, 44. Again, this is in a whole section of parables. 13, 44. I think it's uh, actually, I got the wrong, wrong one, uh, 13, 44, and 45. Whoops, I'm at 34. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. A recognition of the treasure of that investment. And then lastly, from Matthew 19. 28 and following. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. What's striking about these passages, and we could spend a lot more time in them and both my time frame and where I'm at in my sermon, that wasn't the intention. It was simply to say, let's start looking at these nuggets of truth, not just through what we lose, what we have to pay down, but what is the promise of a return on the investment? Strikes me in this passage is the promise of the return on the investment. Kingdom ROI, for those of you who are in business, we don't do business without a good ROI. That's part of us as business persons. We'd say, this is really, really important. It's the bottom line. There's a banker out there, and they look at this, and you know what this means. People look at it. That doesn't mean they always figure it out right, because sometimes they think, I'm going to do great on this, and they don't. They haven't taken into account all the factors, or the whole banking thing crashes and it changes for somebody. We don't know those things. But in the kingdom, wherever there is investment, there is a sure return. We just don't know what that return will look like. Tomorrow, for sure. And we may not know what it looks like 20 years from now. But the promise is that it will be a return. When we can look through the lens of kingdom investment... And begin to understand that what really matters to God and what is a priority for the kingdom, we are able to more fully partner with God in kingdom building. This phrase here, surrender and come and die, was the, the phrase that kept coming to me this week. And whenever I hear this, it, it, is, it feels like it's this one that says, and, and, John, his words in John 10.10, 10, I will bring you life and bring it more abundantly. This is the truth. But it requires this kind of dying, this kind of surrender. So I, just, I invite the worship team to come forward. And uh, Katrina had asked me earlier in the week, was there anything that was on my heart? And as I spent time in preparation and was looking at this, this, this phrase kept coming, this place of surrender. You know, when I, when I think of surrender... The first thing I always think of is what I see more, most often in the movies. It's the hands straight up, which basically is I give in. I give up. Usually because somebody's pointing a gun at me and I'm saying, don't shoot. I'm going I'm to turn myself over to you. In a similar way, God's not holding a gun to our heads and saying, surrender. He's, he's saying, you're not a robot that has to respond in any way that I say you must do this. I'm saying, I'm inviting you to surrender. And I'm promising you a kingdom return on that surrender. That's the invitation that God's giving us today. And so we're going to sing a song that uh, most of us have 
heard for many years. And I just invite us to respond. I'm going to be up here on my knees before the Lord because that's what God's been doing in my week as I prepared this message, simply surrendering to the Lord. However you choose to surrender or if you feel like you want to surrender afresh to the Lord, I invite you to respond in whatever way you choose, whether you join me up front or you kneel at your bench or you sit there and your heart you're kneeling, whatever it is, that's okay with me. For me, it has much more to do with this invitation to say, sons and daughters, the Father invites us. Our brother Jesus invites us, said, will you come and will you surrender your life fully? Not half-heartedly, but fully to me so that my abundant life can flow in you in deeper and deeper ways. Thank you, Keith.